Welcome. This talk was recorded at Insight LA in Long Beach. Thank you for listening. For more information, please visit us at InsightLA.org. All right. So, you know, I was going to give a talk on the senses today and, and the effect of the senses on the mind. And um, we still are going to talk about that, but in a, in a roundabout way. <laughs> um, as I was preparing for the talk, I came upon something kind of interesting. Uh, there was that there's an amazing text in the in the Kagyu tradition of Tibetan of Tibetan Buddhism, and um, it's called the Ocean of Definitive Meaning, and it's by the ninth uh, Karmapa. So just like the Dalai Lama is uh, the fourteenth Dalai Lama in the Kagyu tradition, they have the Karmapas, and we're on the seventeenth Karmapa. And Wangchuk Dorje was the ninth Kar- uh, Karmapa, and he wrote these three amazing texts. One is pointing out the Dharmakaya, and we have uh, gone over that uh, before. And one is Ocean of Definitive Meaning, and this is a this is a robust t- uh, text. It's huge, but um, very very detailed and, and amazing. And it goes over the the practice of Dzogchen and and Mahamudra, some of the the, the non dualistic aspects of the practice. And Trongar Rinpoche, who is an amazing amazing scholar, uh, wrote a commentary on this text. Uh, there's some really profound teachings in there, which I wanted to talk about. And then I read the introduction. And the introductions by uh, uh, Lama Tashi uh, Namgyal. And he had written this, this introduction during the beginning of the Iraq War. And so it was really interesting how he was talking about this, this kind of political unrest and how to be with it and how to deal with it. And at the same time, it was in this context of this really deep um, text. And so I thought it was really fitting um, going into the, this next week um, and just, you know, overall, kind of, kind of keep talking about the political uh, unrest and whatnot. Uh, how can we balance these two? This is an ongoing situation. How can we balance acting from wisdom, mind, and compassion, um, and at the same time performing, uh, you know, engaged Buddhism? So that's kind of what we're going to go over today. And I really bit off more than I could chew. This might be, <laughs> this might be two talks, but. Um, so I wrote a little summary and an outline, and Don, if you don't mind, just putting those up. And I wrote this summary and to simplify everything, and then I reread it, and I thought, I don't know how simple that is, um, but I'm going to go ahead and read it. And this is, this is the basis of what we're going to talk about. So we as spiritual practitioners have a dilemma. We know in concept the empty nature of external phenomena. This is phenomenal, but it's phenomena. 
but uh, do not have clarity experientially. Therefore, when faced with moral matters, we are left in paralysis, wondering what is the best way to benefit all beings. The answer lies in the cultivation of non-dual awareness, even for short durations. This awareness can, at once, benefit all beings spiritually and offer a base for dynamic compassion to arise, free of mental formations, determined through the habit of past experiences. Thus, we act spontaneously depending on the needs of each particular situation. So we could have some insight that things are empty of, of an inherent existence from existing from their own side as a certain, as in, in a certain way. And, and at the same time, not be able to see that clearly. Um, and, and therefore this, this, um, this creates a, a certain, a certain dynamic where, in other words, we know that we don't have the, the, the truth of all truths. There's, there's the truth is dynamic uh, in the external world. Truth is a very dynamic thing. What is true politically, for example, uh, what is true information? Of course, this is the whole year of like misinformation and whatnot. So we we try to act from a more uh, a spiritual insight, um, so we can get some more a clearer understanding. Of, of how things exist and we want to move from that deeper higher truth and so we know it's there but we can't we can't necessarily access it so it's like we're we have some conceptual insight but we are in fact living in a conceptual uh, frame of mind you know so what do we do so we want to unpack that a, a little bit and um, so I went over the, the talk outline. So we just uploaded that in the chat here. And uh, number one, we just did. And so I'm going to kind of go over what is dualistic view? Um, how do we each see things differently? And then I really want to spend some time, if we just talk about one thing today, we're going to really unpack this. And that's the mental replica. Um, how it works, what's the definition, and what do we mean by that? Uh, the mental replica um, and then I went over feeling paralyzed by indecision and how do we act striving towards uh, non-dualism and it's important to note we don't need to be enlightened um, even for short tastes of this uh, frame of mind helps tremendously and then the end uh, through awareness of our mental replicas and the practice of awareness itself uh, we could start to benefit all beings in a more powerful, in more powerful and peaceful ways. All right, so um, this dualistic view. Let me go back to my notes here. Um, so Lama Tashi, so Lama Tashi, who wrote the introduction of of this book, he's a he's a Western Lama, and so he talks about he's a, he's looking at this. The, the war in Iraq and he, he's just talking about his dualistic nature so maybe we can relate to this I'm just going to read a little bit of it my pre-1960s mentality formed by my education that convinced me that America was the good guys 
and that American government and the American system in general, that they are engaged in preempt, that they are good. I'm kind of summarizing this. It says, right now they are engaged in preemptive warfare. Their manner is polite and conscientious about trying to save lives. They have spent years creating smart weapons to take out only hard military targets, which at the same time will avoid, as never before in the history of warfare, the killing of innocent civilians. My late 1960s mentality, on the other hand, which evolved over a seven-year career of organizing in the civil rights and anti-war movements, is a bit more cynical. To this mind, the, the benign aspects of the war party is nothing other than sheep's clothing on the wolf. The effort to avoid both our own military casualties and the collateral casualties in enemy civilian populations is simply an effort to eliminate any opposition at home to our military actions or the least or at least the effectiveness of any such opposition. So he's talking about his own uh, the same situation, even in his own mind is divided, right? He could see both sides, both sides of this. And so just a general example of of how there's there's a single situation. And there's a million days, ways to look at it. And of course, as, as a divided uh, country, divided world and whatnot, we're seeing this in a very extreme way right now. But this is happening with all phenomena, as we know. All phenomena, all situations, whether they're you know, the political situations, whether it's a, you know, a table, a chair, anything, right? So then he goes all, like really deep into into how the mind sees objects. And what's really important about this is that this is, this is kind of, this is before we could actually react to what we're, we think the senses are picking up. So we think the senses are picking up a chair uh, and uh, as we see it, or the tongue, the, the, the sense of taste is picking up a taste. And so by the time that it actually hits our, our consciousness, it's already gone through this process, which I'm going to, I'm going to um, kind of go through here, which he beautifully explains. Again, this is Lama Tashi uh, Namgo. So this beautiful explanation, and this is talking about the, the mind replica. So I'll just kind of say we can unpack it here. Oh, actually, do you mind, Don? This is actually the one that you have. Do you mind starting to to piece this together here? Yes, I am. Thank you. Yeah. Cool. Thank you. All right, thank you. All right, so even if we just unpack this piece today, this is gonna be wonderful to unpack this. And again, something that we um, 
kind of already know, but beautifully, beautifully written. The world that ordinary beings live in is a world whose foundation is dualistic consciousness. I experience myself in here, in my mind, in my body, perceiving something out there that is separate from me. However, what the eyes see, the ears hear, the nose smells, the body touches and feels, the tongue tastes, are none of them experienced directly by us. We only experience our own vague conceptualized version of what the sense organs experience. We experience actually a mental replica of the experience of the senses. This conceptual replica is merely a vague approximation, approximate, <laughs> approximation of the original unconfused data of the senses that the mental consciousness has conceptualized. So this replica that we actually see forming in mind is a vague approximation of the original unconfused data of the senses that the mental consciousness has conceptualized, solidified, and projected back into the object and events experienced by the senses. So key. It is that vague approximation, that replica that we perceive, and that then forms the basis for our actions of body, speech, and mind. In the words of Nargajuna, the phenomena that appear through the sense organs to the mental consciousness, the chief of them all, are conceptualized and superimposed. This superimposition, which we are here calling the re a replica, is conditioned by all that we have experienced with that object in the past. Right? So it's this. It's going through a filter. And there's a lot to unpack here, yet it's extremely simple in a way once we, once we can grab hold of it, right? So basically, the, 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 the object is, is introduced into the mind as it's, this happens, you know, split second. As it's introduced into the mind, the, it has to go through the mind's kind of filter, Right? So the mind has this filter on it, and that filter is based on all past experiences, right? So if you have, a po if you have positive associations with a dog, so dog is present, German Shepherd is present. I have negative associations with a German Shepherd because I was bit by one. <laughs> I was bit by a German Shepherd. Um, I also have some positive associations too, but so dog is present, German Shepherd is present. So it's, it, it goes through that filtration system. So by the time I notice dog, I'm not seeing dog, right? I'm seeing that mental replica in my mind that is based upon all of my past experiences. You know, it's built into that. So how we, how we perceive this mental replica. So I'm not reacting to dog. I'm reacting to my mental replica in my mind of dog, right? And so I'm just gonna read this one part over. The conceptual replica is merely a vague approximation, approximation of the original unconfused data of the senses. 
that the mental consciousness, consciousness has conceptualized, solidified, and projected back into the objects and events experienced by the senses. Cool. So this is just a, a, a very detailed way of obviously saying that every, everyone looks at things differently, but it's, a, it's important to note the why, you know, the actual inner workings of, of our own minds. To actually see it like this is that everything is a representation of what's happening in mind. And I, I touched upon this a couple weeks ago, you know, that there's, that the whole practice is, is inward. You know, we have to keep kind of going back and noticing what is my mind um, actually creating. And when, when we see this happening, now that we see this happening, we can start to untang untangle this. Um, you know, he states here in this book, Norman Mailer, who I'm not quite sure who that is, but um, he talks about somebody's laughing. Sue, who is that? <laughs> okay. <laughs> um, so, uh, anyway, they called facts are, uh, are merely intensified fantasies. Facts are intensified fantasies. Um, I think this is an interesting way to, um, to put it. Facts are intensified fantasies. All right, so we're seeing things differently, and so we know this, and this is difficult. Um, okay, cool, philosopher. So, I'm just gonna read a little, um, mostly nominalist, thank you, thank you, Rick. All right. So from this from this standpoint, you know, e even though this this uh, in one hand might seem like a very like a, a simple core, um, uh, you know, topic, especially in in, in the practice, um, is everyone pretty clear on that? Everyone's pretty clear on on how that's forming. Okay, cool. Okay, so I'm going to read us another another piece um, from the Lama. Hold on, let me just read this one. There's sense. Okay, sorry. Let's see if I wanted to, to jump ahead a little bit, but I'm just going to take my time and and just just read this part. Um, as our understanding of the teachings and our meditative experience of it, of reality grows through our study, as our understanding, sorry, as our understanding of the teachings and our meditative experience of reality grows through our study and practice of Buddhism, we may have a tendency, therefore, to find ourselves politically paralyzed by this, by this understanding and experience, which tends to diminish our reflex to make conceptual judgments. 
As good people and citizens of advanced industrial democracies, we feel uncomfortable with this paralysis because we would like to do something about all the suffering that has been created. But if we cannot be sure of the facts of the matter and therefore cannot be sure of what it would be, what would be right to do right now, how can we do anything? We might be making matters worse. There is an answer to this dilemma and that answer is to cultivate awareness. What, what do we mean by awareness and how is this different from dualistic consciousness? How is simply cultivating awareness going to help? If we can transcend dualistic consciousness, thereby attaining primordial awareness. So this is the difference here, but like dualistic consciousness and primordial awareness. Then one can see things accurately without any conceptual projections just as they are. One is tempted to say then, having transcended intensified fantasies, that there are facts, but these are totally non-conceptual facts that lack all the solidity that in ordinary perception we superimpose. Seeing things accurately just as they are, one can respond to things appropriately without preconceived ideas. At this level of unmistaken perception, proper and unmistakenly compassionate decision-making is decidedly possible. So this is something that I've had, you know, a really big problem with because um, it's basically stating, you know, when we have clear views, let's say we have true, we see the true nature of mind and we have clear seeing that, you know, he goes more, more into this, but basically two things unfold. You know, one thing unfolds is that by clearly seeing, we affect you know, all, all beings on a spiritual level by clearly seeing. So like this undercurrent of external phenomena. So when we see things clearly, like through consciousness, like all, all beings see things clearly. So this is a kind of a, a more non-action type of way. So this is a spiritual thing that, you know, it's like I'm not omniscient. I can't see that. I don't feel like I'm really doing anything, right? But, you know, this is, this is something that, I can I could feel I could feel this in in my being, but I can't necessarily see the effects of it, you know. And the second thing, and and maybe more importantly, is that when we unpack this, it's that most importantly is that that filter gets removed, and so we're seeing things without that filter. And the big, big difference is that we're not, we're not acting from this, these preconceived ideas. So the compassion and the insight and the wisdom can act dynamically. And it might be completely different than our political view. You know, it might be completely different in, in, in that instant, you know, in that instant of, of true wisdom of what does this situation need? You know, what, you know, um, I, I see myself reacting so quickly, you know, stuff on social media and, and whatnot. And then when I take a step back, you know, a few hours will pass and I'll watch. I'll watch my whole view of that situation change. I could sit with it for five minutes and maybe transform the mind into um, more love and more compassion. I have to notice 
the replica that I that that I'm making in my mind over and over again. You know, I know this, but it's not like I'm actually seeing this all the time. I'm not seeing from that point of view all the time. Even though I quote unquote know this to be true, I know my own biases. I know that I'm biased, right? I know this, but I'm not abiding there. So like bodhisattvas and Buddhas, they say, you know, Buddhas abide with this clear scene all, all, all the time. It, it never leaves. But the important thing to notice with our own experience is that even for a small duration of time, if we could begin to taste this, this non-conceptual reality to see things as they truly are, just in, in small amounts of, of time, this begins to unravel, like um, Miller Raper would say, um, make haste patiently, but make haste. <laughs> you know, it's like we're transforming the mind in, you know, into, into like in, we're transforming into Buddhahood. And we're like, oh, it's going to take a long time to see everything as pure experience, to see everything, to see the empty nature of everything. But we're still making haste in that direction. And the more that we could unravel, you know, and, and remove this filter of the mind to pay, pay attention to that replica, everything that we look at, everything that we look at to notice, that's not how she how actually how it is. It really, really, really isn't. That's just how my mind is seeing that person or that thing or that situation. Every single moment, every time I see something. So this is why there's a certain certain practice to see everything as dreamlike and um, as an illusion arising. Almost like, um, yeah, just <clears throat> like all a dream because it has no inherent existence from its own side. To, you know, pay, to pay attention to this and to see it in, in small tastes to understand. And what we can do is... In, of course, we're doing this in meditation, but even even in um, the external situations that we that were, that are arising, sit with this long enough with non-judgmental awareness until that starts to, to to break down, even change. So that mental replica, what's fascinating about it, is that we can watch it morph. It actually changes, you know, how we perceive that situation, like I was mentioning on social media, but how we see things. We notice that it's impermanent, that our, our, our image of that's impermanent. It's shifting and changing. And so therefore, when we're acting, when we're reacting or, or acting and engaging, uh, we're, we're engaging on a universal level, you know, not an us versus them level, uh, because we've seen past the subject-object aspect you know, because we know, oh, that's an illusion, right? That's an illusion for me to see something like that. I need, I need to look beyond that. I need to see an essence. And most importantly, as we know, compassion arises because we no longer see beings that are seen, um, are believing in a certain way, that all beings are believing in their own mental replicas, right? So they're showing you this, they're just telling you, hey, I have a mental replica of reality in my mind. And, you know, that's what they're saying. 
you know, on social media, whatever. Like, I, I, this is my falsehood. What's yours? Oh, mine's false too. You know, that's it. It's, it's a battle of these images. And again, I know we all know this. I, I, I hope that seeing it in this, in this slightly different way um, can, can help pinpoint it because we have to move into the, the experience of it. So I want to read one more one more thing here, and I want to break us up into groups. But okay, I'm just going to read this here. Um, non-dual, non-conceptual awareness in meditation asserts a subtle but immense spiritual influence, impartially on all elements of one's experience so that without having to make conceptual judgment and choose sides in political conflicts, one's meditation exercise exercises a positive influence on all beings who are party to such conflicts. So one's meditation exercises a positive influence on all beings who are party to such conflict. So in the subtle in the subtle way, again, it's not something that we necessarily can see, it's something that we could feel. This positive influence is unmistaken because it is without partiality. The rain of this meditative bless the rain of this meditative blessing falls on the just and the unjust alike, and ultimately becomes inspiration to all of them. Because of our ignorance and uncertainty in all of these highly technical situations of interdependence, the most profound and the only truly effective and unmistaken political activity is the profound spiritual influence that arises out of true, unmistaken meditative awareness, which is non-dual, non-conceptual meditative awareness, which is primordial awareness, original wisdom. This spiritual influence moves to the, the, the decision makers, regardless of the outcome of elections and other aspects of ordinary political and governmental process, increasingly to manifest in accordance with their own basic goodness. I'm going to try to type, type that in. Um, and again, it's more of an invitation because these subtle aspects, again, are difficult for us to to see but i i think you know talking about meditating and influencing political figures is very difficult very difficult for me to see that how can my meditation here and literally influence the innate goodness of a political figure to make positive decisions no idea no idea for me you know i've been here you know read this stuff a long time ago, you know, and experiences, but I think this is something that I can kind of invite the mind to start to understand only because of starting where I'm at with my immediate surroundings. Or in my experience, you know, to kind of bring it closer to home, I've seen the experience of following, like literally physically in certain locations, following um, 
saintly beings, you know, Rinpoche's and, and Lamas that have come to the, the centers where I used to live. <clears throat> and I would notice, you know, almost a psychic influence that they've had in a positive way wherever they would go. You know, just this amazing, beautiful um, field uh, of energy that they would have. But I've definitely felt, you know, presence like in a workplace of of somebody of a, of a negative nature you know, that would create this environment of negativity. Same thing with somebody who's very positive. I would see this in a very positive, and it wouldn't be, it would just be like a feel-good vibe, you know, or not so feel-good vibe of that person. And so it's twofold. It's twofold. Like one's a subtle aspect that we're talking about, and the other is the 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 the, the dynamic action, actual physical, tangible action that we take, but it's not infused with. Um, it's it's not infused with that infused with that general judgment, right? It's, in, it's infused with, without that filter for the basic goodness of all beings, right? And, and this, this could show up dynamically. It's, it's, it's interesting with people different views, like no matter what you say, they're not open to anything, right? We don't want to be like that too. We don't want to have just like this view where we're not open to see what dynamically needs to happen in, in the moment, All right, I warned you in the beginning, I bit off more than I could chew. There's a lot of stuff. I, I, I apologize. Um, and I feel like this is extremely simple on, on one hand. And then um, I think experientially, it's actually very, very profound. Very, very profound. Um, if we could be in this place of non-conceptual wakefulness. Um, and and I'll, say that, I'll say this last thing. Because when we speak of even just the word non-dualism or non-conceptual, or these terms that we see like Vajrayana Buddhism, like Zogchen and Mahamudra, this is, you know, we see that we teach us an MBSR, mindfulness-based stress reduction, um, choiceless awareness. You know, this is, this is simply being aware of awareness. Um, there are obviously different layers to the, these um, realizations of true nature of mind but if you've ever been in your practice in meditation and you are present and you feel no inclination to follow anything like to follow your breath to pay attention you don't have any inclination to do this because the meditation has begun to meditate you and you're present your mind is bright and present. And there's nothing that needs to be done to bring the mind back to presence. You're just simply awake. That's it. And of course, that has nothing to do with meditation, like in a deep absorption of meditation. It's right here we're awake. You know, we're just simply that wakefulness. You know? Um So cool. So maybe maybe we can break off into groups and just, you know, talk about our mental replicas. You know, it's just a wonderful term that we can kind of just sit 
sit within and and maybe talk about that and and how we can move into um, maybe how noticing that could open up to more love that hopefully we won't need this week hopefully it's a joyous a joyous week you know not projecting um but um but maybe we can um you know talk about living in, in more compassion because we see our own mental replicas as we break off into groups all right so yeah, we have a few more minutes to, if anyone wants to bring up what came up for them in the larger group. Or to the larger group. <laughs> I um, was thinking how you're talking about can our meditation actually affect uh, political figures? people who we feel like we have so much distance from uh and um taking that back to just like basic buddhism is that there isn't separation between us and them um and and the only you know the only evolution the only spiritual the only enlightenment that happens is collective enlightenment if there really is no separation so it's not like we're going to get better and they're not better. <laughs> so we need to do something for them. It's like if there really is no separation, you know, heart sutra stuff, then what we're doing is, is it. So Wonderful. That, that's how okay. I digest that question. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah, that that's the invitation, right? The invitation is can 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 we experience that? Thank you. I appreciated that. This is a breakout Sancho. That was very valuable to me. Um, I appreciated the insight of the um, what was it? What, what were you calling it? Like the personas or the um, the mind sorry. replica. The replicas, yeah, because um, definitely something I deal with, but it's also in, in getting insight into people's perspectives and helping, you know, <laughs> another, uh, ironically, perhaps another thing that we're connected in, you know, because we all have our replicas, <laughs> to, regardless of our, um, you know, how, what we identify with. Mm -hmm. So... Maybe it helps to converse with people that way, or just vibe with people, I guess. Mm -hmm. Thank you. Yes, uh, excellent talk. A very oh. timely. Thank uh, you. I, I had mentioned once before that I had a friend over, and we could sit and watch sports together. But when the topic became politics, we started out with different facts and we couldn't agree on anything. Mm. And I think that uh, social media has been weaponized and I think people are hearing totally different things through the media. And as a result, we'll never be able to agree on anything unless we start out with the truth. Mm. And 
there's been a lot of telling of lies because it it uh, it works. Um, we're all seeing the world through filters. You know, I use the word filter through uh, you know filter of our own experience, and um, so I think this practice is wonderful because it it helps us to be more in touch with reality as it is, as opposed to reality as we think it is. And then there's a, that we're all trying to make things better, but it's important for us to make things better in a peaceful way. You know, you can get a bunch of peace advocates together and they start screaming at each other. Yeah. Uh, we have to be peaceful inside and we have to be compassionate and wise. Um, and not storming the capital to bring about the change that this country needs. Thank you. Um, so when you, during your talk, um, I was thinking, because I was really trying to wrap my mind around this, right? So I was totally on my head, um, which was probably not good. But I, I was thinking about this artist who, um, did this um, piece a long time ago and it was about, you know, what is a chair? Um, and it was, you know, is the chair a chair or is, you know, a picture of a chair the same as the chair or is the word chair the same as a chair? Like, right? So does it have like chairness? And I was thinking um, my preconceived ideas probably have preconceived ideas. So there's probably multiple layers here. Um, so it seems like a practice that um, would probably just have to take place throughout the rest of my life and maybe um, several reincarnations. <laughs> <laughs> or not. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you know, I think, I think that's why it's, um, it's so cool to, to know that in the very instance that we liberate a thought, that infinite potentiality is there, you know, the, the very instant. So this is not, it, it is and it isn't. The sustainability might be difficult, you know, to, to like have sustained wakefulness. But from the very beginning, from the very moment we learned meditation and we learned non-grasping mind, it could be visualize yourself at the beach. Even if you visualize yourself at the beach, you have to visualize yourself at the beach. You have to let go of that passing thought. So whether you're doing mantra or visualization or following the breath or doing a body scan, you're gonna liberate a thought and bring the mind back to something else. The moment you liberate that thought, the moment you just redirect the mind, even, even before you liberate the thought, you're already awake because awake mind have, has brought you, brought you back to wakefulness and you're, you're, you're there. This, that's the, that's a moment right there, right there, just that. Um, you know, it, 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 because of habit, we know we keep grabbing onto other stuff so that we don't, we're only there for a few seconds at a time. You know, but we could investigate those moments. We can investigate experientially, neck down. You know, we could experience those moments. And you know, what is it like now that I'm not a being following a thought? What is that experience like? You know, what's that? It's just a few seconds at a time. You know, so this what's really cool, you know, about meditation is that even if it's 
implicit, we've been training in this the whole time. As we go through from more um, coarse to subtle objects, we start to become familiar with that in a more direct way. You know, our insights become more direct in that subtle nature of mind. But we're actually doing this the whole time. The, the whole time, the whole practice we're doing this. Um, yeah, so just a reminder of our spiritual confidence. <laughs> yeah, we're doing this all the time. Um, so thank you all so much. Sorry I went over a little bit. Um, you know, check the newsletter. We have a retreat coming up at the end of the month. Um, Wendy's got an awesome um, uh, compassion-based practice coming up. You know, check the check the uh, newsletter, newsletter, um, Facebook um, page for, for that stuff. And um, yeah, just closing our eyes for a moment. So we dedicate the merit. So thinking of all those beings that couldn't be here today, all of our friends and family, all these beautiful beings like Kelly was mentioning that we're all connected. I love how she put this, there's not just individual enlightenment. So therefore, all these beings are here with us and we're sharing the merit with them, all the goodness, all the wisdom, all the beauty that has come about any insights during this time together. May all beings everywhere without exception, may they all feel this. May all beings be happy and free from suffering. Om Mani Padme Om. Just listen to a recording from Insight LA in Long Beach. For more information, please visit us at insightla.org.